Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I am your host, Damon Pastolka, and I am so excited for our guest today because we're going to be talking about the power of being yourself in business with Tim Fortashoe from 40 Watt Coaching. Tim, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. Yeah, this is going to be awesome, man. We are going going ahead of time here, and we 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 I think we ran over even by a minute before we started a minute late because we started going. And your story's so cool that um, we wanted to get just get started in life here and share it with the people. So, Tim, we always like to start out learning a little bit more about the people and how they got into doing what they're doing. So let's start there. Let's let's talk about Tim and how he got into coaching. I, I knew from a pretty young age that I wanted to be a coach. It probably hit me somewhere in the around the time I was 19 or maybe 20. I was a college basketball player at a small school and I started gravitating towards you know how how can I help mentor or how can I teach others this thing I know which at the time was a sport. And when I got out of school, I you know we all think I've heard some of your other guests talk about like what do I do with this major now? Well, all I was thinking about is how do I, how do I, how can I coach for a living? And so my mind at the time went to, well, I could be a college basketball coach. Like the, the people I see on TV, they, yeah, they make more than a living. You know, they make a lot of money in coach K. Uh, coach yeah. K. Coach K. Right. And then I got into it. It was almost like being a Hollywood, trying to be an aspiring actor in Hollywood or something where you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a couple people that do this really well and get paid a lot of money, but there, then there's like a lot, a lot of people who are waiting tables and like trying to make the dream happen, but it's just not happening. And I, I sort of fell into that camp where I, yeah, I, I couldn't, I tried to get some doors to open up to do sports coaching professionally. And it just, for whatever reason, wasn't materializing. So the, the path I took was I coached high school basketball as a varsity coach for several years. Mm -hmm. absolutely loved it. But the problem was I had a day job and then I had this. And so I was gone all day. And when it came time for, to get married and, and start a family, I, I had to be real honest with myself and like, I can't keep this up. Yeah. So eventually I found very, very fortunately, I found the world of executive coaching and communication coaching, which is what I do now. And we can, we talk all about that, but I, about 10 years ago, I pivoted into this type of coaching. So in a way I, I'm actually living the dream of getting to coach people for a living and it, it do what I love. That's really cool. That's really cool because it's, it's not exactly where you thought you were going, but it's somewhere where you want to go. Completely. So, good stuff. So you did a little bit of medical sales in between, in between then. What do you think that really helped you with? So you're a better coach. Yeah. The medical sales was, as I called it earlier, my day job. <laughs> it was, 
I got hired by Eli Lilly in Indianapolis and I was right out of school. I was really fortunate to get that, that position. And I mean, that, that I did it for 10 years as I was trying to find my way into coaching for a living. I I would definitely have not described it that way to my bosses at the time. You know, I was (laughs) dedicated to my work. Yeah, I did well at my work. Uh, but the, you know, to answer your question, like, what did it, what has it taught me about a, being a coach? A lot. I mean, I, I can empathize with people who have deadlines to meet, you know, which my clients do with pressure, with um, the, that pressure of like having to collaborate with different teams that you work with and not everybody's priorities are on the same page, but you've got to figure out a way to come together as a team um, there's a lot, there's just a lot of crossover that goes into like the empathy I have for the clients I have now. Yeah, no doubt. So as you're, as you're coaching today and, and you're out there, you're talking with people and it, you know, you've, you've coached with a lot of big names across uh, big name companies, done, done communications coaching with them. Um, and you said that you've coached on six different continents. Now, that's not that you, you got just about all of them then if I'm counting right. So what are, what are some of the the places that you never thought you would coach that you coached in around the globe? The first one that comes to mind is the just before the pandemic, I coached for several days in Beijing and, and in Shanghai in China. And I had a blast, you know, and I was. I was in a room doing communication coaching in English for bilingual audience, you know, but the primary language was not English. It was Mandarin. Yeah. I, it was one of those moments where I was like, pinch myself. Like this is actually happening. I came in, (laughs) you know, trainer or speaker to come in and do this in English. And uh, it, it was, it was a huge learning, but also a lot of fun. And that was one of those things where I was like, wow, I never would have thought when I was a high school basketball coach a few years ago, I never thought that I'd be in this spot. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. And you don't think about it, but that's, that's probably even for people that are doing business in the U S or business with U S companies, it is very important for them to understand the communication, the way we communicate and for them to be, to be uh, able to do it effectively. That's for sure. What did, what did you, what did you learn about that? I got to think that that's, I mean, I I've done a little bit of business in, in, in China and in the middle and, and the East and it's the, the traditions and the customs and there's so much difference there. What were some of the things that you really learned that you thought this is cool, but I would have never learned it if I hadn't been here. This might be kind of nuanced, but I, this, the thing that the honest answer is I, there's this, um, there's this etiquette about how you facilitate a workshop. And I was there to facilitate lots of workshops, lots of different things at different companies and different uh, parts of Beijing and Shanghai. And one of the things we do in the United States in a workshop is you do the Socratic method, like the way you teach a class. You ask a question and you get some input back from the audience, but you try not to single people out. You try not to be the like a teacher who cold calls on a student who isn't ready for it. You don't want to put people on the spot and in a negative way. So, you know, you do a lot of open-ended questions to the room. Well, that's not the way things worked, at least in my experience in China. In China, when I'd ask the open questions, I, I wouldn't get anything back. And so some of my colleagues who were there on my team that, were, that lived in China politely came over to me during a break and said, 
they're, you know, they're not going to respond to you unless you call directly on them. Mm -hmm. and I said, oh, interesting. This is counter to everything I've, I've done in the, in the U S so let me try this. And so I came back from the break and I, instead of opening it up to the group, I would just go directly at somebody and say, not in a, like a mean way, but I'd be like, what do you yeah. think? Or well, how, how would you respond to this? Or what, what did you have in mind? And like started naming people as I went. And it was amazing. Everybody was ready to go. Everybody had a thoughtful response and wow. completely shifted the way I thought I was supposed to conduct myself in a workshop. That is, that's a lot different. And two, that, that really, you have to be as an audience member, you can't be sitting there half dozing, listening to somebody speak because you could call on anyone. It made me think almost about maybe the way the school systems work differently in China and the U S but every, I thought about that too. I was like, I really don't want to embarrass anyone. That's why I typically don't just cold call yeah. on people. But I was really pleasantly impressed, surprised, like every, that never happened once. Everybody was ready and had an answer ready to go. And I didn't catch anybody dozing. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we've got a, a few people. I'm, I apologize. I didn't catch these comments earlier, but we've got Imani. Um, we've got here. We got Merlin Clark. Thanks for showing up today. We got Paul. He's in here today. All right. We got that going on. And then we, he's, Paul even said, is Antarctica the missing link? I, I believe that would be it the is. one. Yeah. And if you were there, that would even be cooler, but you want to get in and get out. I think at certain times of the year there <laughs> so, it's on the bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a good one. I actually, actually a little digression. We had, um, a lady on, on one of our live stream shows, uh, Allison, I think her name is, uh, I can't remember it right now, but she actually is one of the people that walked to both poles. Okay. Who the, who the heck <laughs> climbed like the seven highest peaks and walked, I don't know, something like that. Super, super cool, cool lady though. But, uh, you know, just thinking of that. So as you're, as you're doing this around, around the U.S., you're around the globe, you're helping people, you're talking with a lot of executives, you're trying to help them, as, as you say, you know, be authentic, clear communication. What are some of the things that you see these people commonly stumbling with a, a, in their communication? Sure. There are two main themes. And it's not specific to executives. I think it's people at different seniority levels, but definitely executives. This is true as well. There are two themes. And one is how we see ourselves. And the other is the structure that we use to communicate different ideas. So I'll break both of those down a bit. The, the first, which is how we see ourselves. Here's an example I just saw earlier today, coaching someone who's a vice president at a successful organization on communication. And the scenario is this person had built themselves up to sound a certain way to project credibility over the years. And it turns out that that way the person had built themselves up was not their authentic voice. So they sound one way when they're talking to friends, family, people that have worked for a number of years with that person. But then when it's time to get up and share ideas in front of a different type of audience, this other voice came out. And that's a problem because one of the key ways to connect 
with audiences is sound like yourself, be authentic. And then the walls kind of come down subconsciously in the audience. So many other good things happen too. Like your delivery is better. Your body language is different. Your it's just, you connect better in so many different ways by just being your authentic self or using your authentic voice. So that's a big one. And then on the other side, where uh, an error I see, or not an error, just like a, a blind spot, let's call it, is structurally people tend to speak to the left brain of their audience at work. Now, here's what I mean by this. They're obviously, there's a left and a right brain way to communicate. And the left brain, to, to simplify it, is that's the part with the details, the strategy, the logic. The right brain is the story the metaphor, the calls to action. It's the part of the audience's brain that is looking for something to connect to, something to visualize, something to feel even. If I were to ask you or ask anybody really to tell me, well, what's the, what's the main priority you have for the rest of the year in your work? I'm probably going to get a left brain answer. Now, the blind spot is you can do it both ways. You can give the left brain answer and then follow it up with a right brain answer and putting those two together. Now we've got the best of both worlds. We've got the details, but we've also given the audience something. By the way, when I say audience, it could just be the team, our colleagues. Mm -hmm. We've given them something else to visualize or connect with. That is, I'm writing notes like crazy because that is, that is gold right there. Um, given the details and then giving them something that right brain, something that they can feel and connect with and, and, and really get in business. It's so important to have people become a part of what they're doing that if we get too stuck in left brain, I've totally, I, I, when you're talking, I'm like, yeah, that's me. You know, I grew up an engineer and, and, and really it took me a long, long time to start, you know, let the feeling come through in the way you talk. But what you're saying it makes so much sense because it helps people connect with them as leaders, helps them connect as we're, we're going to work together. There's so many different things that, that that pulls together. So as you're doing this, I've, I've got to imagine you really have some good instances of people getting aha moments and things drastically changing for them. What are some of those things that you see after you've worked with someone for a while that really begins to happen with them, both professionally and personally? There's a overall, there's a comfort that happens, which is probably my favorite part of what I do, like a comfort in someone realizing that they don't have to be something else to be effective as a communicator. They actually need to do the opposite. Just be more comfortable with who you are. And as I see that facade melt away, or the realization that I don't even need to do this. I'm at a point in my career, I've done this long enough, I can be me. Even for people who are in the earlier parts of their career, they, don't have, they could do that too. You don't have to get to a certain milestone in your career to, to start leaning into your own personal style and just being that. So uh, seeing that that part melt away is, is really gratifying for me. An example, like here's how I sometimes see it play out is, Sometimes I work with people to get ready to, for a conference, like to get ready to go on stage. And I heard you talk with Kitty, if, if your guest a few episodes ago, and talking about those big events that her company mm -hmm. puts on. 
sometimes I'm the coach who's, who's preparing the speaker or the, the main executives to go out on stage and like do a great job on that, in that environment. And so here's the dynamic that that executive or that's that keynote speaker is dealing with. They've got a talk track. They've got a, maybe a confidence monitor, they've got a script and they got to figure out a way to take those words and connect it to this big audience in front of them, a bunch of human beings. Like, how do you do that while you're reading? How do you do that? It's really difficult to, to be reading something and also connecting in the way you're delivering it. And so one of the biggest ahas that some of my clients have is that actually adding in stories, meaning anecdotes, like here's my talk track, but that's kind of left brain. Let me add a story here because I've got something that really brings this point to life. And it doesn't even have to be told perfectly. It's just, you've given me the left brain. Now give me the right brain, the story in this case, mm-hmm. or a metaphor. And it's like this sense of fun comes over the person that I'm coaching. And if they're having fun, chances are the people who are listening to them are starting to have some fun too. And that I'm using the word fun a lot, but that's a lot of fun for me too. Oh, I bet. I bet. And, and one of the things we had, Amani said, you can, on receiving end, you can see right through it when people are not being authentic and, and using just too much of the left brain. And Matt said that he's still needs a, too much left brain, too much left brain. And then <laughs> we had Mark talking about the right brain being the emotional connection, which is. That's right. Yeah, that, that is correct. Which it's, it's so interesting because as I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, yeah, these speakers at these big events, you know, you don't think about that behind it and the preparation that they have. It's not just preparing what I'm going to say, but how I'm going to say it, how I'm going to weave things together to be able to do this. Because if you're a if you're a Fortune 100 executive and you're doing a big presentation at a big important thing, you're launching a new product, you're talking to one of the divisions and you've got hundreds or thousands of people in the room. That's, that's quite a pressure cooker. It is. And there's so many things that that person has to try to get right. And, and my job is to try to alleviate a lot of that, to try to like, let's just focus on how simple this actually is. It is, you know what you want to convey. Let's get the message in, but let's do it in a way that lands, that's true to you and do it in your authentic voice. So a lot of what I'm doing is trying to like depressurize the situation that has inherently has a lot of pressure in it. Yep. Yep. So what are some of the things that you talk about adding stories? What are some of the other things that you, you see that commonly help people to depressurize this and bring more of themselves into a conversation? It really comes down to, can I stop and think about who my audience is? And if I'm doing that, what are the questions that are most important for me to answer for this audience? And I think the act of doing that takes some of the pressure away because pressure oftentimes comes from, I've got this document that I wrote that I, or someone wrote for me that I'm trying to say just right. And mm-hmm. if we shift it from that to, wait a minute, who am I speaking to? And what is most important to that group of people? And what are the questions that might be most interesting for me to answer for this group of people? Okay, now we've kind of done something simple, but we flipped it and we've made it not about us, but about mm-hmm. them. And 
even if we aren't hundred percent sure what those questions would be that that audience wants, we've kind of depressurized it in a way by just serving them instead, if that makes sense, putting ourselves in a position of like serving the audience, as opposed to thinking about delivering this monologue, just right. Mm -hmm. No, it makes total sense because if you're answering their, if you're truly thinking about them and answering their questions around the subject that you're speaking to or on or whatever it is, um, they're going to be way more engaged because they're going to see you like, oh yeah, that's what I was thinking. Oh yeah, that's what I was thinking. And and you might be able to get, you can see their their minds starting to go in 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 the direction where you'd want them to. Then, so uh, that's really cool. That's really cool. So what what are some things that we don't think about in communication that you talk with people a lot about? Some of them we've covered. I mean, really the the ability to go to the left and right brain is a big one yeah the authentic yeah. voice is a big one those are things that people people almost never think about but i think they're two of the most critical things mm -hmm. the other things as we were talking before the show started the other things that i that would how would i answer that question are things that you probably find on a google search they're more of the yeah. common things but i mean i'll call out some of them anyway because they yeah. do play a really important role there are things like pausing after key points instead of just speeding through. So if you're, in, if you're listening to this or you're w watching the stream, just think about, all right, if I have an important message to, to deliver and I've told the story or I've said a line that is thought provoking in some way, if I take a breath after I say that line, now the audience is going to do probably a little bit of processing it, visualizing it, and it's going to sink in even more. It's going to give it more impact. If instead, if I don't pause and I just keep going and I kind of go speed right through that pause, what I've done is actually undercut that point, which could have been really powerful. So it's build in some pauses, particularly around the key points. That's one of the things I'd say. Another one is, you know, anyone looking up, how could I be a better communicator would get probably get some information about how do I reduce my filler words and things like that. And I've got a different perspective on that than I used to. Earlier in my career, I'd working for a, a larger firm, uh, you know, our perspective was just never, there's never a time to say um or ah uh, or any of the filler words. You got to cut them all out at all costs. Now, I, maybe in my old age, I've come to think of it differently in that I, I think now there's some humanity to filler words occasionally. <laughs> We usually use them when we're being authentic. And so I'm not saying, hey, use them. That's the best practice. But I'm saying self-awareness is actually the key. If you're using filler words, if you're using five or 10 every minute, if someone was counting you, and sometimes I do that for my clients, cut it down to two or three in the minute. And that's a good goal. But zero, cool if you can do it. But the more important thing is be comfortable in your own style. So it's more of a self-awareness and improvement rather than like, let's get rid of these things and eliminate them forever. That's the way I see it now. Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a great point because a lot of people fill the space with those words because they think they need to keep talking. And really the pauses are normal when we're talking to people in a, in a conversation, you and I, if we're sitting having a beer someplace, there's, there's pauses. There just are. 
And it's funny how that happens. When you look at it, you can really tell that we're watching two people speak. If someone is using a lot of filler words and someone is not, it's dramatic in the difference, the difference of the message. It is. Ah. Yeah. Simple. Like you said, it's a Google search thing, but it's not easy to do. No, it's not. And if people are asking themselves now, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I eliminate them? There's a couple ways. There's a couple relatively simple ways. One would be record yourself speaking on your smartphone. Just pick a topic and talk about it for 30 seconds to a minute and then watch it back, which is not always fun. We usually don't like hearing our voice or watching (laughs) ourselves back. Uh, but but count like just look and notice like what am I am I saying um am I saying you know am I saying a combination of a few different things then just get a baseline for okay where am I and then when you once you've got that baseline start to target the words that stood out the filler words that stood out more and do your best to try to replace it with a pause easier said than done but it it is doable this this does work if you commit to it mm-hmm Hamani said something about nonverbal cues. They are a skill. That's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, I never used to pay much attention to that, but now I find as you, I, as I think about communication more, I really like to look and see what the audience is doing. And, you know, I think maybe younger, you're a little more, you're a little more nervous. Just want to get the, get the infant, like left brain stuff. Right. Yeah. And now when you're trying to connect, you really want to see people that are they're leaning in or whatever they're doing and 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 uh, wanting more or get, being engaged in it. Um, but the I the question I've got is how many people do you start out with and you, and you video record them or audio or whatever you do? And they go, oh, my God, is that really how I sound? Ninety percent would say that ninety most. I do that in front of large groups, you know, to, to, as part of like a self-awareness exercise, you know, give them some mm-hmm. different prompts and, and have them record. And that is almost always the first response. Some kind of a groan. <laughs> That's what I sound like, or do I really come off that way? And it, it's just human nature. It's like, we, yeah. we all tend to nitpicky ourselves. And once we can put that aside, then, then there's a lot to, to see in the recording to grow and grow from. Yeah. What do you like the most about doing this? It's seeing somebody's confidence improve. I think is the thing I'm really driving at earlier in our conversation. I told you about, I I wanted to be a coach thought I was going to coach basketball because that was just the thing I knew. And now that I know communication, verbal written different forms of it, I think it's the vehicle for me to get to something hopefully deeper within the people I work with. And that is re-examining or like seeing themselves in a different light, helping somebody see like, I can do it and I do have this in me or I could do this really well. Like that is the, that's the most fulfilling part. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can feel it from you. I can feel it from you that when you can get, people as you you like to say leading with authenticity um and they get more comfortable just being themselves they've it's got to be powerful for them once they do yes it's powerful for them it's 
super powerful for me to see. It's like reinforcing, you know, like, wow, I want to mm-hmm. do that again for more people, <laughs> you know, help yeah. more. And, and it's also kind of like a lifelong journey too. It's not like it's something you just get it and then it's set. It, there's always these deeper layers of like, can I be more comfortable in situations that make me nervous? Or can I be more comfortable being me and calmly being me in situations where maybe my boss's boss is in the room or like the board is listening in to what I'm saying. And so it's, it's like, it, it it's a continual journey of doing yeah. more of this work. Super cool. Super cool. Cause you were just, you were just ticking off the things that I, I went through and had no coaching whatsoever. And I just remember the first time I had to go into those board meetings and do the presentations and things. It was totally left brain, you know, it's, I did horrible probably, but no um, way, not you. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. I was a robot. Right. But it, it it's, it's this, I just feel how, how in those situations, someone like yourself could have helped with that to really get you across because I think that's in business today. I'm, I'm so excited about business today because I believe that the the Gen Zers are pushing us, the millennials and Gen Zers are pushing the Gen Xers and myself to really be more authentic, be more about, you know, yeah, we, we're not just business. We're about community. We're about the, the environment. We're about social responsibility, this whole kind of things. And I think what you're doing is you're helping a lot of leaders that were conditioned at the beginning that we're not that to show them how to really lead in today's environment and be, be better, better connected with their people. That's a really cool way to put it. And I'd never quite put it together from the generational lens, but when you say that, that makes me think back to 10 years ago when I was still a basketball coach, I was coaching gen, the beginning of the Gen Z generation is mm-hmm. there, you know, that some of those guys were coming through high school and played basketball and, it, it didn't really dawn on me then, but looking back, it has that the credibility factor was so, so, so different for them thinking of like, did I have credibility as their coach versus what it was for me in the nineties with my coach, my coach, my basketball coach, when I was a student in the nineties was the guy who had been there since the seventies and his style was old school drill sergeant. Yeah. You know, he said it and you did it or you didn't play. And, you know, there's still some of that to sports now, but there's a lot more connection and conversation that I had with today's player that my coach would have never had with me. And there's also the, uh, I found myself owning when I made mistakes and even apologizing sometimes when I handled something wrong to my players And I don't think I ever saw, I'm not trying to critique my old coach wherever he is now, but I, you know, that just wasn't part of the tool set for leaders or coaches back in the day, you know, to to like own that, like, Hey, I, I looked at that the wrong way. That's on me. I did a lot of that with my players just because it was authentic. And I was like, this is what I'm really feeling. So I'm going to tell you this. Not coincidentally, I feel like I'm doing, doing a lot of this as a parent too, with my kids now. And I, I think, I think at least that that helps our connection. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. I see that. I'm really, I've long time Seahawks fan here being in the Northwest 
And I see that in Coach Carroll, up, Pete Carroll up here. I mean, yeah, you can – coaches all have their their goods and bads, but one of the things is he is very authentic with players and he connects with those young players so well and gets such a high level of effort and and commitment from them that other coaches can't because we'll have players come that just basically are, are failing out of another program, come to the Seahawks and be able to play at a very high level where they, they just literally couldn't fit into other places. And you know, it's got to be with that connection and how the, how he's um, communicating with them and, and really getting them to buy in to, to him, him, them into him, him into them. And that's that leadership in business today, that whole connection is really what drives our next it is, I believe is driving our next level of superstar businesses. I mean, it's yeah. You know, Apple's, gargantuan right and some of these other companies are gargantuan but they don't they aren't necessarily going to be at the top of the heap 50 years from now if they're not doing these things right because the good ideas are coming from other places i i love the pete carroll reference i live in san francisco now so they're like the arch rival but but don't let anybody know that in your audience in san francisco but i i'm a huge pete carroll fan and i hope that I hope I would love to see him get out and speak more on the, on topics of leadership. He's somebody that I've looked up to a lot though, in his approach. Yeah. Well, and the whole development philosophy around the coaching there too, has really been something that when you talk about an authentic leader, you see him on the side of you see his, his enthusiasm, 76 years old, he's going after it. You see him when he communicates with a player, you know, bringing them in close, hugging them, you know, just the whole good and bad. It's, it's just that that's, that's a, a level of, of, I don't even know what you call it. A, a, you know, they are connected at a different level in that organization. And that's, that's how you can do that. And when you can do that in business, you have developed people that will run through walls for you and, and as they need to and do things that, that you 99% of the companies can't just because they're going to be smarter. They're going to try just that little bit extra and they're going to collaborate better. It's, it's amazing when we can get that, that authenticity and that connection among our, our people in our teams. I think that's really well said. And, and when I became a manager after leaving basketball coaching, I, I, you know, I had this feeling of, well, I've never done this before. What do I do? I've never managed people at work, but actually I'd managed people for years as a coach, parents and players mm-hmm. and different systems within the program. And I just sort of leaned into what, what I knew from it and it completely applied. It was be yourself, be true to what your values are, um, make a connection with everybody on the team, get to know them. And then I feel like when the connection's stronger, it's almost like, equity in the bank, you know, if the, the equity is positive between you and the individuals on the team, then when it's time to give the critical feedback, it's time to coach hard, which I think is probably what coach Carroll would do. You know, you've got money in the bank, you, you've got positive equity built up in trust so that that negative feedback, the, people are more likely to take it and not be just purely defensive over it and grow from it. It is a huge point. And I think that by as, as you're doing, helping people be more authentic in business. And if they can keep depositing in that, that equity bank with the people they work with, keep depositing, keep helping, uh, you know, 
doing that when it, it is so key what you said then when there's time that we need to change what we're doing you're not we we need to work on something that you're doing and it's not working just quite right it, there's you're not this defensive at that point it's because we've got that connection built up and now we can actually work through those challenges and go past them way faster than then the defensive mechanisms would stop progress rather than at the point if the equity is in the bank, as you said, we can talk about it and start moving forward. It's, That's right. That's and so if people so are listening cool. to this saying, well, where, where's all the e positive equity come from? I mean, that's where you as a leader, your eyes have got to be, look, you got to be looking for it. Like what are, wh where can I catch the, my people doing it right? And yeah. small things, big things, and ins insignificant things that they would have never thought twice about, but stopping and taking the minute to send the quick message or tell them in person, like, hey, that, you know, you made a comment in, the, in that meeting. And in, uh, I don't know if you, you even remember it, but it really changed the trajectory of our conversation in a good way. And that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, just put it out. It's just a little deposit in the bank, positive equity and building up that trust. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Man, are you just excited every day when you get up and get to do this? I am generally excited every day. The reason I paused is because I pictured when I really wake up in the morning, it's probably my five or three-year-old waking us up at 5.30 in the morning. And then my wife <laughs> having to be like, it's still the middle of the night. You got to go back to bed. <laughs> but what, once we get past that, I, I'm pretty, I am pretty excited. I'm pretty pumped up about what I get to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool that you're getting woken up by a five and three year old. That's that's a that's a good that's a good thing, man. That's a good thing. You will look back on that and you will go that it, it we thought it stunk while it happened, but it wasn't that bad. And then I'm probably going to miss it, you know, as soon oh, as yeah. it's oh, yeah. happening. Yep. Yep. So that's man. So cool. Matt's got another thing. He said, best, best performing organizations have five to one positive to negative statements. Yep. Love that. hundred percent. Love that. I love 100%. that ratio. Five to one. Yeah. Yep. I had to do so much just, you know, I don't know what you'd call it to myself for that because as, as managers, we get conditioned to find the problems, right? We get the sure. conditioned, conditioned to find the problems. So what do you talk about all day? The problems. Yeah. You got this five to one ratio is so important, but why the hell was it for however many decades have been teaching managers just, just to find the problems? We got to, we got to get past that because it doesn't get you where it can when you're, when you really are thinking about the positive. Yes. You have to understand there's a problem. Yes. You have to do that, but you treating them differently is so key. So key. I agree. There, there are times where you go directly at the problem. You sit down with somebody or you communicate it directly. Like, here's the problem. And that that's the way to go. I've found through, through coaching in various levels, sports coaching, all the way to, you know, coaching an executive and trying to help them get better at delivering something in their message. I've found that if I can catch them doing the thing right if there was an issue Ooh, yeah. here in topic a, you know, but, but I wait and I kind of pick my spot and then I catch them doing topic a correctly, like stopping and jumping on that positively, I think at times can have more impact than if I were to tell them the negative, like, don't do, Hey, don't do this. But it, but it means more if I say, Hey, that time you did this, that was great. Let's do more of that. Mm -hmm. 
Great point. That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. And, and as we, as we, as we learn more about ourselves and people, I think it's, it's so much fun to listen to yourself talk about coaching and, and how you can help people do this because we are, we are in a time where people like yourself and executives can come together to really make huge difference in organizations. I agree. Yeah. So and, cool. And spending time when, when I get to see a leader that I work with get more effective at doing the things we're talking about, it just has this trickle down effect. You know, it, it's a, it's a multiplier because there's so many people that could have a positive day because mm -hmm. that leader, you know, had a positive interaction with them or communicated something in a way where gave, gave the whole group some hope or some inspiration. And it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, so tell me, I just, I, I, my mind's just racing. I had to slow down here a moment because uh, it's so much fun talking with you. I mean, this, this is, this is, if there's anything in business that leaders can do, I mean, leaders aren't, aren't born, right? They aren't born. We have to be developed. Leaders are developed. And, and I think communication is one of the foundational pieces of being a good leader. So as you're, we're winding down here, we're getting towards the end of what we do today. Um, what are some of the things, the positive feedback you get back from leaders as, as they're going, wow, this is working. What are some of the things they're telling you? The, I mean, the ones that stand out the most are when I can tell directly or indirectly that they feel better. They feel better about themselves. They feel yeah. better, like more confident, less imposter syndrome, more enabled to just be them in a good way. Like let the best parts of them come out and connect with more people, more vulnerability, that kind of stuff. So it's sometimes I get those comments directly like overtly, here's, you know, here's what made a difference. Sometimes it's like, I, I'm, I look at the feedback or the, the note I got and I'm like, wow, yeah. Like that's what's underneath the hood of that is, is like, you're more comfortable being you in a good way. And that's having all these other downstream good effects. Yeah, definitely. And you said something in there that I, I was really thinking about after you said it too, is that imposter syndrome, when we can, when we can be authentic and be who we are, that it'll melt away because we're who we are. It's weird how that is. It's like the opposite <laughs> side of the coin, the imposter syndrome. It's like the, the inclination with imposter syndrome is, well, I'm going to be more this way, this certain way so that everybody will think I belong here. I, I'm the right person. Actually, no, it's go the other way. It's like, stop and think about what got you here, which is you, you know, you being you, you doing, uh, leaning into your strengths. And let's do more of that, which is crazy, but let's lean into it. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Tim, it's been awesome getting to talk to you today. I just, I appreciate you so much for coming on the show and talking about the power of being yourself uh, and your, your, your suggestions, your coaching. If people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? LinkedIn is probably the place where I'm most active and just find me. My name is Tim Fortescue. Last name is spelled F-O-R-T-E-S-C-U-E. You can look me up on LinkedIn. There might be one or two Tim Fortescues in the world, but not that many. 
There you and, go. and then you can also find me on Instagram. There's a at 40 watt coaching on Instagram where I uh, share a lot of content and uh, some videos, some, some just different like blog post type stuff, different insights. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Tim, thanks so much for being here today. I want to also thank our guests that were their listeners that were out there, Imani, Matt, um, Paul, we had Alan, I think was in the room for a minute. There's several people. Uh, thanks for being here today. Those of you that dropped comments, those of you that didn't go back and rewind this, because if you're thinking about getting more authentic in your communication style, go back and listen, because Tim had a lot of good suggestions here. And then, as Tim said, reach out to him on LinkedIn. It's Tim Fortescue. F-O-R-T-E-S-C-U-E on LinkedIn and 40 Watt Coaching and talk to him. He might be able to help. Thanks, Tim, for being here today. And thanks, everyone else. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks, Damon.